then you can actually put a fillet of fish in there. And stocks are great for making stews. Use it to make a souffle later. You do not need a double boiler to make a hollandaise. Bacon granola is pretty awesome. Hope you're hungry. We're serving up something extra special on the Meister menu today. When you just throw yourself in the middle of a jungle and realize that there's no chopper coming for you, then you figure out how to climb up a mountain and how to tie knots and how to make a lasagna with dehydrated milk, tube cheese, and a can of tomato paste. Hello and welcome. This is the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. You're listening to Mountain Meister. We welcome today Mary Brent Gallion, who's an expedition chef. That's right, an expedition chef. She cooks some of the tastiest dishes you'll ever eat in places that very few people ever go. MB does it all without electricity and running water. And I had the opportunity to taste this five-star cuisine on the Gauley River in West Virginia. MB, thank you so much for that wonderful meal and welcome to Mountain Meister. Well, Ben, thanks for making it down the river and uh, thanks for having me. Yes, and why don't we start off by making people hungry? Can you give us a rundown of that menu? Sure. Um, this year on the river, we open with some appetizers. I like to make all my own breads as much as possible. So we do a homemade pepperoni roll. It's a West Virginia tradition. And then I do a goat cheese souffle. Um, and I also serve some lamb sliders and we like to do a little uh, piece of sushi. It's a Baja Nari, so it's spicy shrimp and sushi rice in a sweet tofu pocket. And then dinner, we do a pear-infused prime rib with a rosemary demi-glaze and a horseradish creme. I uh, do a honey poached salmon on a curry cherry wild rice with some bitter greens and a coconut sauce. Um, the salad, I like to serve with a sesame pomegranate vinaigrette and some popcorn. Uh, then I also do, um, everybody's favorite is the sweet potato and red apple au gratin, which I think was yours and your dad's favorite as well. That is correct. (laughs) Um, and that is sweet potato and red apple stuffed with spinach, blue cheese, and bacon. And I cook it up in a red pepper, brown sugar, buttercream in a Dutch oven. Um... And uh, then we do three desserts. I do a smort, which is a dark chocolate tort with burnt marshmallows and graham cracker. I do a a red bean and fig cheesecake. And then I cook up a um, red pepper poached peach and white chocolate bread pudding. Um, And then you got to wake up and do breakfast with us. (laughs) Camp burritos and uh, Swiss grits and a biscuit and gravy bread pudding all made from scratch and a blackened cod hash with fried egg and hollandaise. And some days, if you're lucky, I do a low country cornbread and some homemade crepes. I hope everybody ate before they're listening to this. I know I did. <laughs> Honestly, that was a purposeful move on my part to make sure I ate before we talked today. Well, you know, it's it's my favorite way to cook it's my favorite group of people uh, you know as the royal adventurers if you will the royal we um to cook for Mm -hmm. it's it doesn't get better than that these are people that work hard for their meals and they're passionate love-filled people and they are so grateful for every morsel of food you give them which is really good for me as a chef 
I get very few complaints. Well, so we had a, a hiker on the show, Andrew Skirka, who used the quote, hunger is the best seasoning. But I'm honestly, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true with your meals because they're already so well seasoned. <laughs> um, no, but I'm going to steal that line. That's good, Thank right? You, Andrew. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, hunger is, it's really great. And when, when the next food source is about 17 hours away, um, people really don't complain about what you put in front of them. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And we should say, and I think I already said, no electricity and running water. It sounds to me like you're used to cooking that way by now. It's so much easier for me than cooking in a kitchen. I get in a fancy kitchen and I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, but fire is reliable. I mean, I think there's a reason it's been around since the dawn of time. And nobody's really changed it all that much. It's like salt and pepper. It's just reliable. Um, it's always going to burn. It's never going to go out on you. Um, water heats surprisingly quickly. Um, and I think like anything else, when you get used to doing things one way, switching that is hard. Even if you get used to doing something the harder way, easy becomes hard. Hmm, interesting. That's a good way to put it. So, so how did you learn to cook this way? Um, I used to do survival trips with a company called Knowles. Actually, I don't want to say used to because I'm always open to doing more trips. It's such a great company. Um, and part of learning how to survive is learning how to get your tent group not to kill you, which is tough. <laughs> and I hated waking up and getting water out of that frozen tarn at like 15,000 feet at five o'clock in the morning. So I would just pretend to sleep through it. And (laughs) necessity is a beautiful tool and I did not want to get water. So I figured out how to make cinnamon rolls and calzones on a rock instead. And I was like, listen, uncle, I get it. You're pissed. But if you get the water, I'll make cinnamon rolls. And it just kind of grew from there. And I just grew an affinity for cooking outdoors. And when I first got back, my mom, I wanted to cook for her, but I didn't know how to cook inside. So we used a fire pit and she had to order me all dehydrated foods, like dehydrated eggs and dehydrated milk and tomato paste. <laughs> this was the only way I knew how to cook. <laughs> That's it. How many Knowles trips have you done? I've done three. Three? Um, Where? Yes. Uh, I did the Wind Rivers, which is part of the Rockies, which is kind of their um, cornerstone trip. It's run out of land or out of their, their hub. Mm-hmm. And then I did the Green River with them in out of Utah and uh, Wyoming. And then I did 70 days with them in Africa. I did a semester Wow! in Kenya. And so with each trip, did your cooking prowess increase? Uh, well, I, you know, you'd have to ask the people I cooked for, for <laughs> about true. that. But my love for it definitely grew. And I think more than my love for cooking, it was my love for seeing what was what was possible hmm. which i think is what drew me to the world of survival expedition adventure cooking while doing all of that um was waking up every day and just seeing what you were capable of and what boundaries could be pushed um while keeping the integrity of what you were doing hmm. which is the biggest trick is how do you push the boundaries without making it too easy because hmm. then you lose the fun yeah, it's we hear something very similar except from an ultra marathoner talking about running. You're talking about cooking and adventure. Yeah, and and you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I want to get rid of all the some of my sites have propane um different propane, you know, setups. Mm-hmm. 
and I almost don't like using them. Wow. I'd rather have fire pits because I feel like it's probably how some climbers feel about using air. It's it's assisted. I'd rather just have a big fire pit. And that's when I'm in the jungles, that's all I use. I don't use people's jet boils or um, MSRs or anything like that. I'll just start fires. That's it's cool. So preferential. Um, and then you don't have to carry in propane, which means you can carry in more food. Yeah. Tell the tell the climbers that the ones that go without assistance be like, listen, you can't really bring a jet boil with you. That's a that's using supplemental fuel. <laughs> it is, I think so. Well, and it's heavy. That stuff is heavy. Propane is heavy. Uh huh. Um, there's no getting around that. There's no lightening propane. Um, I think that molecule's done been designed, but. Uh, <laughs> 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 but you know, I'll leave anything I can behind to bring extra food. I'll I. I'm pretty famous for leaving my sleeping pad behind and just <laughs> figuring out a different place to sleep um, that's softer uh, because then I can put another, you know, raw chicken in my pack. Right, right. So I've heard you use the something along the lines of you exchange being a cook for adventure. Where yeah. where have you cooked? Um, anywhere they let me is kind of my rule. Anywhere where people will eat. But um, I have been to five continents and cooked on four of them. Um, Chile, uh, you know, I love Fayetteville, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go to, you know, New Zealand. I want to get back to Antarctica really badly. That's my goal for this winter. There's a company that's camping on the White Continent, and I would love to get back there. It's the only continent that I've been to that I haven't cooked on. A lot with Knowles, Mount Kenya. Um, I'm supposed to head to Peru this November Mm -hmm. with a couple of rafting friends of mine. But I just would rather cook than get money and spend it on adventures. I just kind of cut the middleman out. I mean, I hope nobody from the IRS is listening, but I don't think I'm breaking any rules. I don't think you're breaking any rules. I'm not taking money under the table. I'm just saying I'll do this if you do this for me. If I get to do this with you, then I'll cook all your meals. Right. And most adventurers hate stopping to cook. That's why they eat a lot of lentils and beets. Does that disappoint you? No. If they wanted to cook, then I wouldn't have a spot on the trip. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's perfect. Don't touch it. Like, keep (laughs) hating cooking. You know, they're they're willing to take on the task of leading somebody else, which is an emotional task, is having enough faith in yourself to teach and lead somebody else in a life or death-defying adventure. Um, I don't want to do that. I want to just trust you to do that, and you just trust me to cook. Mm-hmm. And everybody to their corners, and let's go see this world. You're listening to Mountain Meister, and this is our conversation with Expedition Chef Mary Brent Galleon, Chef MB. This is our 156th episode, and don't forget that we can't do them without the support from you. Go to our support page, mtnmeister.com. You can purchase a bunch of fun things like a shout-out on Mountain Meister. Yes, we can congratulate one of your friends on something amazing it's only 25 bucks. mtnmeister.com slash support. What is your cooking experience? Have you, have you cooked for restaurants? I was a sushi chef for six years um, and cooked for a couple different restaurants during that time. 
But for the most part, um, I mean, I, I have no formal training. Mm-hmm. Uh, my degree is in mathematics. So I've never done a cooking class. I've never watched a cooking video on YouTube. Um, I've definitely been lucky enough to work in some restaurants with some very patient and talented chefs that were willing to explain very simple terms to me that I had no idea what they were talking about. I remember the first time somebody asked me if I used a chinois for something and I gave them a look like they had just landed from another planet. I was like, I don't, I'm assuming not because I don't know what that is. Right. I'm giving you that same look right now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Who knows what a chinois is? Nobody. It's a a strainer. Okay. okay. It's a fancy strainer. Um, but, you know, or they ask for a mirepoix and I give them the same look and they're like, it's carrot, celery, and onions. I knew what a mirepoix was, actually. Well, well, then you officially know more about cooking than I do. I took a week-long cooking <laughs> class one time when I was younger. And you learned what a mirepoix was. Yep, definitely. And the proper way to chop vegetables. Toe, toe to heel with the knife, right? I don't know that. I can't answer. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> I use a switchblade half of the time. Right. I bought I bought knives to go on chopped, by the way. Right, which we need to talk about. Let's talk <laughs> about that right now. Can can you I can't imagine that many of our listeners may know what chopped actually is. <laughs> and that's how we eventually met each other, MB. Can you can you tell our listeners what chopped is? Um Chopped is a show on the Food Network. Um, where they invite four chefs to come and um, basically drive themselves nuts for about 16 hours for an hour of television. But what it is, the premise is that four chefs start, you get a basket with four mystery ingredients. You have to use all four of those ingredients and then whatever is in the pantry to make an appetizer in 20 minutes, the first round. One chef gets cut. Then you do it again with a new mystery basket and three chefs, and you have 30 minutes to make a main course, an entree. Mm -hmm. Then one chef gets cut, and the final two go head-to-head and dessert with four new ingredients and a half an hour. So it's like a fast-paced cooking game show, correct? Right. Something along those lines. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. And Um, MB was selected to compete uh, on Chopped, and I just watched the episode before speaking to you. But do you know how that happened? Was a guy came through the same site that you came to on the golf? True, true. Do tell that story. (laughs) He came the first night of last year, which is always the hardest night because we build an entire restaurant, kitchen, and uh, basically hotel in the middle of the woods in a matter of a week. A place with no no cell phone service, uh, no electricity, right? No, nothing. It's completely off the grid. There's no, you can't find it on a Google map. Um, there's none of that, but it's, it's, you take a road on the side of a mountain, you know, down, 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 down to the Gully river. It takes about an hour to get there by U-Haul and about 14 miles to get there by river. Um, and we build this site in the middle of nowhere. We build hot tubs every year. We build showers. So the first day is crazy, um, to get all of that off for 90 people or whatever, and he came through and asked what I did in the off season. And I told him that I cook for people in cool places in exchange for room and board. And so if he and his family were going somewhere cool and wanted a chef, I'd be happy to go. And he said, actually, I work for the Scripps Network and they own the Travel Channel and the Food Network. And I'd love to tell him about you. And uh, I said, sure. I thought he was just being nice. He sent me an email on Tuesday 
said, do you have a video and a bio? And I went to my boss and said, I need a video and a bio. (laughs) And we sent it off. And the vice president of the Food Network emailed me and said, I just had this video come across my table. Will you come to New York and have coffee with me? And I said, sure. And um, I went and talked to him and he sent me over to casting. And they said, I know we know exactly what we want you for. I was lost. I don't have television. I mean, I live in a Jetta. I'm homeless. So um, the whole thing was completely new to me. It's I've amazing. never been called chef before. It's amazing the experiences that you can have when you're open to those opportunities. Yeah. Um, and that's how we met is my mother told me about you. She saw you on Chopped. Then I sent you a tweet and said, hey, you should join us on Mountain Meister. Then we connected over the phone. You told me that you do this on the Gali River. And then I think within three to four days – I you were there. was in the Kali River. You'd hooked me up with a world-class rafting guide. My friend Horst delivered you by boat, you <laughs> and your father, and we warmed you up in a hot tub riverside and um, made some food. You came down with two of my best friends. It was awesome. It was great. It was really, really fun. Yeah, that all happened in under a week. Yeah. You just got to remain open to it. You know, when you get so caught in what you think life should look like, um, it's very easy to turn off your to turn on blinders to kind of what's out there. Um, and I just remain open to everything. I have, you know, five ethos that I keep to every day. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't drink. I give more to the world than I expect back from it and trust that it will take care of me. And the rest of it, I leave completely open to chance. They're very simple. The easiest thing I do every day is I don't do four things. And then I just try to think of the world and hope that it takes care of me back. And it's done very well. Very so far. good. Very good. So you said you don't drink. And you were telling nope. me before that you uh, earlier years you had some trouble with alcoholism. Can you talk a little bit about that? I was an alcoholic from a really young age, actually. Uh, you know, and, and I the only part I hesitate to tell about my story is that because I think it's really easy to put judgment on um, kind of your family structure or whatever. And I don't like to give people the impression that I didn't have an amazing family, which I do. Um, my mom was my best friend, but we lost my father early, um, in a tragic accident. And I think that I was just sneaky enough and, and just young enough and just depressed enough to not know how to deal with it and started sneaking booze, uh, out of the bar or the freezer or wherever it was kept in an adult household. And by the time I was 10, I was a daily drinker. Mm. And um, by the time I was 30, I was consuming 4,000 calories in alcohol a day. And, you know, I told somebody just this week that I was choosing alcohol over everything else. Um, And now I choose everything else over alcohol, um, which seems like a simple switch to turn. And it's not. It's a full struggle to figure that out. Um, Why, Why was it a full struggle to figure that out? Well, you know, kind of uh, kind of similar to what I was saying earlier, that once you've made things harder, easy seems hard. Mm. And I think that I had made my life much harder than it had to be by, by living in my addiction. And a lot of addicts live in lies and hurting other people. You get so blind to what life is out there. Um, all you can think about is what you think that you need, which for me was alcohol. So 
it's a big, it's a, it's a deep, dark hole to dig yourself out of. And it's very easy to slide down to get a couple of notches up and look up and you look down and down is closer. So you just take another drink and then you start that process all over again. Um, and for me, it was, it was finding a reason not to. And once I found it for myself, I knew before I quit that I had to quit, that I was an alcoholic. I was aware that I had a problem. Um, but I wanted to quit for everybody else. I wanted to quit for my mom. I wanted to quit for my you know, ex-husband at the time. I wanted to quit for my friends or to not go to jail. I didn't want it for me. Hmm. And then something happened where finally I wanted it for me. And then it was the easiest thing I do. It's literally the easiest thing I do every day is not drink. Um, Because the rewards that I have received once I got that poison out of my, you know, and it's not poison for everybody. This is what was going to kill me. I think that's different for everybody, but this is what was going to kill me. And once I got rid of that, life was big, bad, and beautiful. And I am blessed to have the friends and family that I was able to come out on the other side with because I made it really, really tough to love me for a while. I thought it was interesting how also you said that doing this work in the kitchen helps you stay busy and socialize when normally people would have a drink in the hand. Yeah, it absolutely, um, it it keeps my, it keeps me social. It gives me a role in a social environment where most people are drinking and it keeps my hands busy and it lets me make sense. I think it's hard for people, for adults who aren't alcoholics and have a drink to unwind like a normal person would to kind of wrap their head around not drinking. And I, I get that because they've never woken up and drank a fifth of whiskey and a bottle of wine before they got out of their pajamas. So they would never understand, you know, the life or death gravity of what my situation was and that, you know, how much better my life is without it for me. So it's a long road down and a long road back up to kind of wrap your head around that. So I think that it makes other people more comfortable with me being there without a drink as well as myself. Extra links, videos, pictures from our Gali River expedition, and even some recipes from Chef MB on her Meister profile page, mtnmeister.com. Now, the big question is, how can you eat better on your expeditions? Let's go on to how we can implement some of the skills that you have in our own outdoor pursuits Maybe not ways to produce a salmon over curried rice, uh, but ways that we can eat a little bit better in places where we normally wouldn't. What sort of tips do you have for us? Well, I'll tell you what, as far as salmon goes, if for for all the fishermen out there, anybody who's bringing mm. a fly fishing rod into an expedition, which is pretty common um, and pretty easy to do, even if you just bring like a wire and get bait off of trees or what have you, um, really good trick is bringing some fresh citrus with you uh, is to bring an orange or a grapefruit or a lemon or a lime. And you can usually use that to make yourself some fresh juice or to season something else. And you want to just hollow it enough to leave pulp in it. And then you can actually put a filet of fish in there with a little salt and pepper or some onion or whatever you've got. 
and wrap that in one square of tinfoil on a hot coal. You don't even need flame. You just need heat. And it will poach it in like five minutes for you, that moisture in the orange. So you've got juice, you've got orange segments, whatever you want to use the fresh fruit for. And then you've got a poaching vessel. Wow. And it's its cup It's as well. You can eat out of it. Um, you can do eggs benedict like that. You can use an avocado. You can use a mango. You can use a persimmon. You can use anything that gets moisture, anything that's um, that's got a skin and has a moisture content to it. With uh, taking up little space. That's nuts. Very little space. Yeah. And, you know, if the situation calls for it, you can reuse that. I've used the same orange to make four or five different poached eggs before I pitched it. Yeah. I mean, waste not, want not is the, is the first key to expedition cooking. Waste not, want not. Waste not, want not. My friend Cooper looked at me and he was like, so I've learned a couple things from watching you. One, tinfoil is king. Tinfoil is God. Yes, absolutely. And reusable as well. Yeah. And light. Um, I guess I should say aluminum. You can do almost anything. I mean, my whole slogan is you can cook anything with tinfoil in an open flame. And that is 100% true. <laughs> Um, and the second thing he said is, uh, you waste nothing. I mean, most people have a compost pile when they're in the woods or in a base camp and mine is you could fit it in a, in a Tic Tac jar. Um, every skin, every seed, every core, um, every stem can be used to make a stock. Um, and stocks are great for making stews with your leftovers of anything. They're also really good to keep around for digestion and rehydration. You know, and you've always got water. You have to have water. That's the number one rule of camping. You got to be near a water source. So, you know, a little water and all of your leftover ingredients, boil it down for a little bit on an open flame. And um, you can use it for anything. What about breakfast? How can we up our breakfast game? Well, an orange half with an egg on it is is super awesome. Um, and you do not need a double boiler to make a hollandaise. You can use a folded piece of tin foil on an open flame. It might not be the creamiest hollandaise from the plaza, but it will it will work. Um, and then you can use the egg whites to make something else with. Um, you can save the egg whites in a little jar of some sort that you've carried something else in and use it to make a souffle later or an egg white omelet. Um, baking granola is pretty awesome. Baking you can make granola. it. Yeah. So this is what's going to, what would make me a million dollars if I didn't tell everybody the recipe so openly. <laughs> um, it's granola and dried cranberries with bacon, pieces of bacon and pecans. You cook that up in a vanilla honey butter with red pepper and nutmeg and a little bit of brown sugar. And what that does is it cures the bacon and it makes this granola and you can carry it in in your pack just like you would take any other granola except it's got bacon in it, which is just awesome. Um, and it's great with yogurt, milk uh, on its own, on a salad. It's got a ridiculous amount of protein and caloric intake and sugar and salt and nuts and everything that you need out there. Mm. Um, and then you can also use dehydrated milk, which is like second to tinfoil. As far as you make it sound so easy, <laughs> dehydrated, uh, dehydrated milk, you can make milk with, you can use less water and make cream. You can use it as a base for soups. You can take tube cheese with dehydrated milk and add some water to it. 
um, and not stir it all the way and make a mock ricotta to make lasagna out the field and then take in a can with tomato paste, one of those um, tomato bases that has the meat in it that you would never uh-huh. use if you were actually, you know, had access to fresh ingredients. But if you bring that in, you can, it, again, this has so many uses. You can either strain the meat out of it for something else and use the tomato sauce for something separate, or you can take that with dehydrated milk and tube cheese and a little bit of water and make a lasagna on an open flame. So uh- in tin foil. <laughs> Yeah, okay. But you so you say all of this. I'm wondering like how how these ideas formulate in your head. I mean, you're obviously incredibly creative with these No, just crazy. I'm just crazy. I, but like what what is going on in your head to to <laughs> know how to combine all of these ingredients? I mean, is this just a result of experience? It's it's lots of years of experience and it's a lot of crazy. I, you know, I think that everybody's a little bit crazy. And I think that if you're lucky, you figure out where your crazy makes sense. Mm. And my crazy makes sense in cooking in really off-base ways. Um, I cannot execute a perfect lamb chop or a mirepoix or any of that stuff, but I can make a bivy lasagna like it's nobody's business. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've said it before and I say it a lot, necessity is a really beautiful tool. What I think is so great about the entire outdoor industry and extreme sports and adventure and knolls and all of these things is that it's almost like um, looking at yourself through the looking glass. It flips everything on its head. Um, And it shows you where you're weaker than you thought you were. And it shows you where you're stronger than you thought you were. And it shows you, you know, when you just throw yourself in the middle of a jungle and realize that there's no chopper coming for you, it doesn't matter how much you complain, nobody's sending a chopper for you, then you figure out how to make good food and how to climb up a mountain and how to tie knots and how to sleep in the rain and how to make a lasagna with dehydrated milk, tube cheese, and a can of tomato paste. It just... You know, it's it's really gorgeous what happens when you put yourself in an expedition setting. Very good. MB, we need you to start a website and a series of recipes. How many times have you been told that? Um, you know, lots. But, but then I would have to stop. That's the problem mm. is getting to stop long enough. I can't return a text barely to tell people that I can't get back to their text message. Um, I keep myself on a pretty uh, lockstep pace. Um, But, you know, one day, one day, the other thing is I don't keep recipes. I don't even own a measuring cup. I used to own a measuring cup because I thought a chef should. And then I stopped thinking about what a chef should look like and what I wanted to look like. And I dropped the, you know, fancy knives and the measuring cups. That applies to life too. And B, who do you want to hear next on this show? You've probably met a lot of mountain meisters. Who do you want to hear next? Man, there are so, you know, the outdoor industry, you're you're not in it for the good hours or the good money. Um, it's such a grueling industry that it takes so much passion that it's hard to narrow that down. But he's one heck of a climber. His name is Nick Rothenbush. And he has dedicated most of his life to just climbing. 
um, and some snowboarding and being an amazing friend in person as well. He last year coming out of Cochimo was diagnosed after a grueling, um, like six to nine months, finally was diagnosed with Lyme's disease and almost lost his life to it. Um, it's a really tough disease to diagnose and it drives you crazy because of the uh, brain barrier. And what drove him back to life was the idea that one day he was going to climb again. Like he was determined to get back on that wall. And now he is climbing five days a week again. He did tons of research on how to survive with limes and how to eat differently and how to take care of yourself and how to get back to doing what you love. And it was climbing that drove him back to it. And he just started a um, foundation called Climb for Lime because so many climbers are susceptible to Lyme's disease and it's there's so little known about it. And um, so he has fully thrown himself back into the passion of climbing and helping other people with the disease and other climbers. And I just think he's a really inspirational person, especially for his very young age. And he's climbed me. He's pulled me up a mountain when I can't get up. He looks at me and he's, when I say, whenever I say, I can't do this, he's like, I got you and you got this. And that's all I need to hear. He's an incredibly inspirational person. Keep an ear out for Nick Rothenbush on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com. And Chef MB, wonderful having you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ben. It was fun. Meister fans, I hope you eat better after today's episode. That was Expedition Chef Mary Brent Gallion. We'll have videos and pictures of her on her Meister profile page. Also, a couple of recipes there, too. While you're there, go to our support page. There are varying levels of donation, anything from a $100 custom donation package to something free, like leaving us a review on iTunes. Thanks for that, and enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister. 